Hey, we got an extra mic. There's one right there. <laughs> well, hello, everybody. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Good. Good to see y'all. If you want, stand up. We'll pray. Just uh, praise God. Father, we love you. We're here for you this morning. I'm just um, I'm grateful for how you're working in all our lives. That um, in everything we can always rely on you, count on you, and lean into you. Fall into you, God. Uh, knowing that you will catch us and you will always be with us. We praise you. We lift you up with these songs, with these words. May they be a joyful noise from our hearts, from our souls to you, God. Just pray for your message today. Give us ears to hear it. Help us lay ourselves down more and more each day. Become better followers, servants of you. Be a better church for you, God. We pray for this morning. May all that happens here be for your glory. Whether it's in here singing your word, kids. It's all for you, God. We love you, we praise you, and give us time to you. Amen. This is the day that you have made. Whatever comes. Declare the love 
God has spoken over us. And as we lift our hands up, heaven's open, heaven's open. So let our lives declare the love our God has spoken over us. this morning, so bear with me. First off is uh, tonight we're having Friendsgiving for the middle school and high schoolers from 6 to 8. All the fixings for everybody to enjoy. Um, then uh, we want to thank everybody for the no donation of 70 Operation Christmas Child boxes. Uh, they were delivered this week. Um, Amy up here is uh, right here. If you don't know Amy... <laughs> Um, she's leading an online Bible study, Chasing Lions. There's a sign-up sheet and a booklet out there if you're interested. Any questions, you can reach out to Amy. Um, Advent will begin next Sunday, November 29th. We have Advent resources both for the adults and for the kids back there um, outside the worship center on the table. Make sure you pick those up so you're ready to go. Um, December 13th, we will have our annual um, congregational meeting. If you're unable to participate, be attending in uh, the sanctuary here, um, let the office know and we'll get you all the material that we can. Next is uh, Brightside Project is collecting Christmas toy, toys for their Christmas drive. Um, donations are to be here by December 14th and there is a basket in the studio for that. And then we wanna thank everyone for being understanding during this time and wearing your mask while in the building. And we just want to remind you about social distancing and uh, congregating and all that. So just do our best and we're doing our best. So, and nothing else, I'll hand it over to Rich. Oh, special welcome to you if you're new. Good to see you again if you're not. Uh, we have pretty sizable text in front of us today. If you want to go there in your Bibles, it's John 13, 1 through 20. And uh, before we go any further, let's just ask the Lord to come to this place and uh, into his people and just help us with our hearing, help me with my speaking so that uh, we would all receive what he has to say from his word. So Father, thank you for the opportunity to bring your word forward. And as it goes forward, I pray that you would uh, just make us ready, that you would till the soil of our hearts, that we would have good soil 
uh, that seeds would be planted, that roots would go deep, and that we would bear fruit in the things that we have to talk about. Uh, may it be glorifying for your name and edifying for your people. Uh, and before we go any further, I know that we having, we're having a, uh, a difficult time, and so I pray, I want to make some space in a moment of just silence where we can all come to you in our own space and our own thinking with the requests uh, that we would bring before you of adoration, thanksgiving, confession, petition. We have people who are sick. We know people who are sick. And so we pray using just a few seconds of silence to lift up those concerns that are on our hearts. By all means, continue praying if you are. And Father, we just thank you for the time that we have. It is your time. May you be heard. And Jesus, may you be glorified above all. It's for your wonderful and perfect name we pray. Amen. All right. Like I said, we have a pretty sizable text in front of us. So what I'm going to do is just read the text just so it can land on us in its purest form, just without anything, and we'll just go straight forward, and then we'll go back and we'll open it up. So, book of John, chapter 13. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, by the time of supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So he got up from the supper, laid aside his robe, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with a the towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will know. You will never wash my feet, ever, Peter said. Jesus replied, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only me, my feet, but also my hands and my head. One who is bathed, Jesus told him, does not need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. This is why he said you are not all clean. When Jesus had washed their feet, he put on his robe. He reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord. This is well said, for I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done for you. I assure you, a slave is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I am not speaking about all of you. I know those I have chosen. But the scripture must be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread has raised his heel against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does, you will believe that I am he. I assure you, whoever receives anyone I send receives me. And one who receives me, receives him who sent me. 
All right, so we got a lot of work to do. Let's just jump right in. Um, the f- verse one, where I want to spend a lot of our time, um, gives us the context. It gives us two contexts. It tells us uh, the moment that Jesus is in with the twelve, what they're doing, and why, and what's about to happen. It also gives the second context is Jesus' heart, which is love and love eternal for his own. Now, it's important that we note the the first words of the text before the Passover festival. All right, so Passover festival was the time when uh, yearly Jews would gather according to the command of God, and they would... Uh, it was a commemoration festival uh, followed by a meal. There was uh, lamb sacrifice to, in remembrance of the first path, Passover when, God, when his people were in Egypt and, lamb, and God commanded them to slay a lamb and put the blood over the doorways. All right, so they're in this Passover festival now, and a lot of Jesus' ministry seems improvised. Like if you read it at first glance, you probably think that... He's, he's making it up as it goes, or when you very first start reading the Bible, you kind of start seeing, until you start kind of getting a grasp for uh, the sovereignty of God. But the, uh, Jesus here on this night, uh, it was a Thursday night, Monday he rode in, and there was hundreds of thousands of people on a donkey. And then he goes to the temple, holds court uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, and all day Thursday. Then he, Then now we find ourselves in the upper room on Thursday night, which is the scene. Uh, so Jesus is here, and he's not here by any um, improvi- improvising or anything like that. It's not like that. This is, there's no mistake that he's here because um, as they, were, they would slaughter these lambs, right? Jesus is in the place that he's in because he is the final lamb. John the Baptist says he is the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Revelation 5 says that uh, one who was like a slaughtered lamb began approaching the throne. Um, Jesus is the lamb that ends all other lambs. So in God's eyes, this is the last Passover. This is the last one, uh, the last true Passover. He has given us the lamb that ends all other lambs, which is Jesus himself. Uh, so he's not there by chance. Um, I believe that Jesus would have never made it to the cross uh, had it not been for the sovereignty of God. Like, there's these instances in Scripture where uh, Jesus is walking, and, like, there's only two reactions to Jesus. Either he, he goes to a place, he goes to a party, he goes to a gathering, and they either worship him or try to kill him. So there was, there was times when he was, like, when they were going to throw him off the cliff. And in the, in the text, is kind of mysterious. It says, and he just walked right through them. That was God's sovereign protect, protection. I don't believe, and they pick up stones to throw him, and there's, that's all through the Gospels. His life is constantly in danger. Uh, so I don't believe he would have ever made it to the cross if it weren't for the sovereign hand of God leading him there. This is what he was born for. All right. Just a note, I read an article. Uh, it was 10 or 15 years after the crucifixion, and, they, and there was a reported 256,500 lambs slaughtered in a Passover. That's a lot. Uh, and they missed him. He was, the, he was the lamb that ended all of that. It said it would have taken one priest, and this is kind of gory, but the one, pe- one priest in the time allotted for the sacrifices, slaughtering 87 lambs an hour, uh, a minute for, to, to accomplish that. 
And the idea was you would slay this and it would it would atone for the sacrifice it would atone for all the sins in you and your family. And they, uh, they did the math for us, and they said it, w- it would have taken, to get it done the appropriate amount of time, it would have taken 144 priests slaying six lambs a minute to accomplish that. But they missed him. They missed the final one. If you're here today, it's a pretty good sign that he's drawing you in so his sacrifice would count for you. All right, Jesus knew that his hour had come. Jesus knew. Uh, all right, what did Jesus know? Uh, Jesus being who he is, he's, um, he's omniscient, he knows all things, and he's omnipotent, meaning he's all-powerful. Um, so he had knowledge of what was coming before him. He knew that his hour had come, Jesus knew. He, has, he, he meets people, he knows their names, he knows what they're thinking, he knows their sin, he knows their troubles. You see this throughout scripture, and he's so powerful that he could actually forego knowledge. That's what he did with our sin. When our sin is attributed to Jesus on the cross, God it said that he throws it into the sea of, for, of forgetfulness. He's so, like I wish I had that power because there's a lot of things that I would love to forget. But Jesus knew, he knew exactly what was coming. Um, says now my in uh John 12:27 now my soul is troubled what should i say father save me from this hour but this is the hour that i have come for father glorify your name do not my will but your will he knows exactly what's coming the bible says that he was a man of sorrows i he must have replayed this a million times in his head what was coming he knew that he was being lifted up if you read the gospels he predicts his death up to his death a few times and so, yes, he was born for this. For what? To be our propitiation? That's a wrath-atoning sacrifice. He's born to take our place so that he could give us his place, a standing before God. Being a man of sorrows, uh, we see just ahead of now, he's in the upper room right now. Eventually, the night's going to come to where he gets to the garden, and it says that he was under so much pressure that his capital. He loved them to the end. I want to just want to pull the car over here because this is this is there's some scenery that we should appreciate. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. It makes me think of uh, uh, his parting words in the Great Commission, the, the last thing he says before he ascends. He says, "I am with you to the very end of the age." At, at which time his withness will be then with him. And it's, it's, it's a never-endingness. This, uh, these three words that we get to the end, is a, in the, there's a Greek word that means completely and always. Having loved his own, he loved them completely and always. It's a holy love. Holy is perfect, pure, and complete. It's a fixed love. It's a never-budged love. It's like a reverse sword in the stone except he's putting it in, he's not taking it out. If he begins with you, he ends with you. First, uh, 
Philippians 1, uh, 1, 1.6, 1.7, somewhere there, it says that uh, he who began a good work in you will carry it on into completion. If he begins with you, he ends with you. If you're in Christ, you should be able to breathe at that. That's really good news. It's a holy love. It's a fixed love. It's a never budged love. It's a sword and stone love. It's an eternal love. It's a full love. It's a to the max love. It's a sovereign love. It's a gracious love. It's a full love. As much as God can love his own, he does love his own. As long as God loves his own, he will love his own for that long. First uh, John 4, 8 says God is love. It's, it's, it's who he is. With as much love, with as much love as God can love you with, saint, he will love you with that much love. All right. I almost made the whole sermon about that verse. <laughs> a lot of us could go home right now, right? But there's, there's a lot more. I know I just got through verse 1, and there's 19 left. You guys are cool with staying until 3, right? <laughs> yeah, we'll pick it up here in a bit. Uh, but before we do, uh, I believe that hard words soften the heart, and soft words harden the heart. Um, like, have you ever been... Maybe when you were a new, new believer, or, or not, uh, when you first started opening your Bible and you started encountering who God really was, and your ideas of God started to be uh, jostled and, uh, and, and pushed and pressed against a little bit by the word that you were reading, and what he was doing was, he's crafting it. He's crafting it, and that doesn't feel good sometimes. He's refining you. Fire, uh, fire burns, but it also refines, and he was... So you started reading the scripture, and there's like this aspect to it. There's a story. There's this thing. There's this scripture, and it's, it's messed with you, and you wrestled with it. And then all of a sudden, it's years later, and you actually have peace about that scripture that gave you so much unease at first. There's a good wrestling that needs to occur when that happens, and God wins. Because when we read the Bible, uh, is the ultimate standard of truth. Uh, it's the only book that's going to tell you the truth about ourselves. There's no other place in this world. There's no other place that's going to tell you the truth about us. There's no other place that you're going to find God as he is. He's a self-revealing God. And sometimes he has hard things to say, and sometimes there's hard lessons. And so we're moving into a, terri a territory like that. So what we need to learn to do is to be humble, to be offended well when that happens. It's a really gracious thing. Uh, for God to do, to, to love us so much, not to leave us the way we are, but to move the furniture around in our brain. And the Word of God is the only thing that can really accomplish that. The, uh, the Bible says that the Word of God is a hammer. Uh, it says that it's a sword. Um, Jesus was a carpenter. He knows how to use his hammer. Like, it's chip gains, and it's demo day. Uh, <laughs> it says that the word of God is a sword. We see Jesus as well as a warrior, uh, an avenger, it calls him, not like the Marvel movies. Uh, there would be no movies if he was the avenger. He would. Uh, <laughs> um, like, when Jesus is coming back, he's the rider on the white horse, and he's coming back, and he's... He's, it's this crazy image of him. He's got all these crowns on his head because he's the king of kings, lord of lords, and there's a sword coming out of his mouth, and it's just like some crazy imagery. And uh, 
in the, with the, in the sword is his words. Like, this is the God who speaks. And he says, let there be light, and there's light. But those are pretty aggressive things, the hammer and the sword. So Jesus is also a doctor, and the word of God is a scalpel. So it's been my prayer that he would do surgery on us today. And because it's not the... It's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. And if we're humble, we would know which category we fell into, would we? Before God. All right, so by the time of supper, this is supposed to be an intimate time. All right, but we can go to uh, verse 2. All right, cool. All right, now by the time of supper, this is supposed to be an intimate time. This is supposed to be a time when they're uh, of remembrance. Remember, they're celebrating the Passover, a time of worship. Um, time of fellowship, and it is all those things. Uh, Satan has a man there. And I know we talk about Satan, and it's 2020, and we're far too enlightened to believe in him. I have a friend who says, I believe in God, but I do not believe in Satan. I was like, well, then you don't believe in God because he talks about Satan an awful lot. All right, so by the time of... Now, before the time of supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas. So, we're going to pull the car over again now. Uh, we'll move a little faster after this, but we, we, this isn't so much like a pit stop of scenery. This is uh, like a sober pit stop. This is like a 9-11 memorial kind of pit stop. We're going to talk about the gospel of Satan. Didn't have your attention before, I should probably do it, right? All right, put it into the heart. The devil had put it into the heart um, of Judas, yes, but to the extent that 1 John 5.19 says the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. So with that, let's go learn about this gospel, this false gospel. If they want to hear, I mean, we can put them on speaker. <laughs> this is really important stuff. So, like, if you got a coffee, I know you got a mask on, you can't drink it. So, the least you could do, maybe do one of these. All right. All right. Now, the serpent. Just a side note: Bible says serpent, and I know our faith has been silified uh, by uh, maybe a non-believer who would be uh, a, an opponent of Christianity and say, "Oh, talking snake." I personally, I'm not willing to stake my life on it. Like Bible over here, I'm here. I think it was a man. I think it was a personal figure. I think the Bible uses poetic language uh, to describe this. It calls people snakes. It calls people scorpions. It's just kind of this uh, language of, hey, this, this figure's a little shady. All right, so we're going to go Genesis 3 now. If you want to go there, we're going to hit the first seven verses. Now, the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals. God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? All right, so God creates faith, and everything that God creates, Satan counterfeits. God creates faith, Satan creates doubt. This would have been the first doubt that mankind ever knew. Did God really say with those four words? Did God really say? You, can, you can't eat from any tree in the garden. 
And there's the second thing that he counterfeits. Because God said, no, you just can't eat from this tree or you will surely die. And Satan says, you can't eat from any tree in the garden. So he counterfeits faith by making doubt. Now he counterfeits truth with lies. The woman said to the serpent, this is the first place that she went wrong, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you may not eat or touch it or you will die. And God just said, don't eat from it. So maybe this was something that Adam said to her. I don't know. Uh, don't even touch it, maybe. Something like that. No, second lie that Satan tells. He, uh, Jesus said he's the, that he's been a liar from the beginning. We see that here. No, you will not die. Exact opposite of what God said. God said you will die. Counterfeits truth, lies. The serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. God God offered them rich blessing in himself. Satan offered them something God already given them just without God. He offered them human wisdom. He offered them powder, power. He offered them self-will. He offered them self. He offered them autonomy. You can be like God. You can have an equal standing with him. Did far more in the garden happen than just picking up a piece of fruit and eating it. There was something that happened in the heart that broke God's heart. He said, you can determine what's wrong and right like God. Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food, <clears throat> And delightful to look at. Became appealing to her. And that, that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. This was the first form of self-worship. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, just as God had said. And they saw that they were naked. They were no longer clothed in God's righteousness. So they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. These were the first religious actions ever taken. And see, God made man, maybe you've heard this before, God made man in his image and ever since man's been trying to return the favor. Um, and this is the same gospel that came out from the garden that's come through history and this gospel is still active in the world today this is the gospel that was living in Judas see he believed that he could take the initiative you see Judas was a thief he was living according to Satan's gospel and look, uh, we were all saved out of that. We were believing all these things at one time. Today, this gospel manifests itself 
as wokeism, what social justice has become, what feminism has become. I'm trying to think of anything else, because if I haven't offended all of you yet, uh, there's probably more. <laughs> Which all of these things say, it's grace for me, it's judgment for you. I determine what's right. See, God in his place, this is the order of things, and Satan completely flipped it. It goes like this. God in first place, others in second, and then us. We're so much happier when we live that way. Satan reverses it, and it's me in first place, others in second, and God. That's what this, this gospel accomplishes. See, Satan put it into the heart of Judas to betray him. Simon Iscariot's son, I have two sons. If I was immortalized in scripture in this way, uh, I would be devastated if it was one of my sons. So we know that the whole goal from, from Judas being a thief, just, I'll just show you through real quick. Um, uh, this is John 12, verse 4, Judas being a thief. I just want to show you that. Then one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, the one who was about to betray him, said, <laughs> like, I like that John notes that. Like, this, every time he notes Judas, he's like, by the way, this is Iscariot. That guy sucked. Uh, <laughs> um, said, why wasn't this fragrant oil sold for 300 denarii, that's 300 years of wages and for the typical person, uh, and give it to the poor? He didn't say this because he cared about the, book, about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag. He would steal part of it from time to time. So, for the disciples, following Jesus was all about hearing him teach, like this, something is about this guy. He's uh, things are starting to change. Uh, for Judas, it, was, it never went beyond being a lucrative business opportunity. This was, uh, he was, he was believing this gospel and he was failing to see Jesus, even with three years of following him and seeing him do everything that he did. This was self-love, this was self-satisfaction, this was self-preference, this was self-improvement. even with Jesus sustaining him the whole time that he, Judas is stealing from him. And so, what does the life of Judas tell us? It tells us about false disciples. Because the wheat grows up with the weeds, vice versa. Judas is proof that one can walk with God and still not follow him. Jesus, Jesus, Judas is proof that you can follow Jesus and still not love him. Judas is proof that you can walk with Jesus and still not believe in him. You can follow Jesus and still not follow him. You can come to church and still not have a saving relationship with God. Like, Jesus is not a badge that we put on our life. He is our life. 
Judas is not looking at our good works. Like he, he's not, I don't get tired of saying this, he's not up there with a clipboard saying, yep, they're here, they love me. He's looking at our heart. And the text is going to, I'm going to breathe for a second. The text is leading to a better spot. You're like, I like verse 1 a lot better. <laughs> um, so for some of us, uh, it's time to stop orbiting and land. It's time to stop dating and get married. We need to close this deal. This is Jesus we're talking about. This is eternity we're talking about. And it's going to a better place. I just want to finish this and transition into that better place with the rest of 1 John 5, 19 through 20. We know that we are of God. Having loved his own, he loved them till the end. So it's talking to us again. Uh, we know that we, are, that we are of God and that the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we might know the true one. He's the one who, say, who rescues us from this gospel of Satan that today manifests itself uh, as self-love and amongst of other things. He rescues us from that. He's the truth. He's the, the, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you want to break the bonds of the things, like because we need saved from ourselves, and one of the things that Jesus died to save us from is us. No one treats you like as bad as you do. No one lies to you like you do. I know this about myself as well. I should really be sitting down there hearing this and not up here. I didn't tell you that I would be such a hypocrite. And the good news is we are in the true one if you're in him. And the offer on the table is that you could be. And I want you to leave that way today. Today could be a really good day for you. You who have been coming here for decades, maybe. We're getting there. We are in the true one. That is in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. We're about to see the humility of our Savior, but just before we move on, I don't want to leave without reading this. Satan, Satan's gospel is the guise, the mutation of all other religious religions and religious behavior. It seeks for self, to make much of self, it serves others for the sake of self, does the same thing with God. And so look, good news, now that we're all feeling super encouraged, is that is Jesus. He's the breath that we should take of encouragement. It's like, ah. Because look, Jesus knew, as we go on to verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands. That's all authority. Jesus had all authority of everything. He's the one who said, let there be light, and there was. He's the one who, the people, they're sitting at the Passover festival right now, celebrating what, what God did. They're sitting there with God in the flesh. Hmm. That's a unique room. It becomes all the more unique right now. 
But Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So he knew what he was doing, he knew where he was come, came from, and he knew where he was going. So he had perfect missional clarity. If we could operate like that. He knew it was behind him, he knew it was in front of him, he knew it was beyond that, past, present, future, and eternity. So when it goes to verse 4, that word so, we should see a very humble God, and it should humble us. So knowing all this, knowing everything that was before him, so he got up from supper, laid aside his robe, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with a towel tied around him. Uh, in a Jewish household, this was, the this was the job of the lowest slave, the lowest servant. Oftentimes, they would have a Gentile do it because not even the lowest Jewish slave should be doing something like that. So he came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? All the disciples were probably embarrassed that they hadn't thought to do this. And then, they're, and then Jesus gets up from the table, and that has to be a... Ugh. Jesus answered him, What I am doing, you don't understand now. But afterward, you will know. He promises to take them uh, from not understanding to knowing. And Peter, you will never wash my feet ever. That word, well, my, I like that our, my translation says that. This is the HBS, HCSV. A lot of the translations just say, you will never wash my feet. And that word never right there in the Greek word, it means never onto eternity. So never, ever. That's pride. Jesus answered him, you will never wash my feet ever. Let's talk about that for a second. That's pride. Pride is what keeps us from Jesus. It's what, it's, what, it's what forms that hesitation in us when, we hear, when we're confronted. Uh, pride is the hand we use that, push God's away, that, that pushes God away. And pride. See, Peter was right with pride, and they all were, just of different kinds. Uh, I've said this before, some of us are so conservative that we don't, we can give intellectual assent that uh, that Jesus died for our sins and that we need that sacrifice on ourselves, but we'll never let him help us because we have to do it ourselves. And some of us can be so liberal that we actually think we deserve it. You can be conservative in your politics and very liberal with your theology. Be okay? <laughs> we need to take a minute. with Peter it was pride with Judas it was entitlement uh, Ju with Judas it was sins that were covert you never knew until the end quiet kept it down low no one knew Peter on the other hand Peter's how do I put this uh, he, Peter's mouth enters the conversation before his brain does. I get a lot of hope from Peter because I can be like that. I'd be pretty, pretty gung-ho. Like, it doesn't matter where you're going. 
you're going to get there fast. Like, that's Peter. Uh, he's called the apostle with a foot-shaped mouth for good reason. Peter gives us a lot of hope. I love that these, that these guys are in the Bible because Jesus loved them. <laughs> All right. And then I want to spend some time on this next verse. You will never wash my feet ever, Peter said. Judas replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. See, this is the rebuke that ends his resistance. This is the rebuke that ends his rebellion. Look, this is really good news when Jesus rebukes us because Revelation 3.19 says, as many as I love, Jesus talking, as many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. You want to be sure of the love of God for you? Does he come against you? Does he, does he wound you? Does he restore you? You want to be sure of your love of God and your love for him? Do you listen? As in Proverbs something something, a wise man invites rebuke. Yeah, let's do this. Let's go to Hebrews. I didn't intend on doing this, but I wanted to help some of you breathe. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You have forgotten the exhortation that addressed you as sons. It was an adoption that took place. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or faint when, he, when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He punishes every son he receives. Endurance. Endure. The call of Hebrews 12 is, to, is, is, is endurance. This is the, I'm not preaching this text, but I'm just using it to say what the call is to endure. For what son is there that a father does not discipline, but if you are without discipline, which I'll receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. We have a parent so much who loves us so much. Like there's a good balance. Uh, too tough, and you end up abusing. Too tender, and you just show that you don't love. God loves us both ways. All right. If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Um, this is a relationship that Jesus serves us first, or we can't serve him at all. If Jesus doesn't first serve us, we will never be able to serve him. His serving kills our pride. It's what makes it possible. It's the, for us to be in the kingdom at all, to care about anything that's being said right now at all. Breaks down barriers. See, see we love wild horses. 
we love them because we put them in calendars because they 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 encapsulate beauty and freedom they win us oscars for cinematography uh but they love but they're in constant danger of being prey to beasts and snakes of breaking their legs on the rocks of the wild and not be and not and being stranded out in the danger of it all, falling off cliffs to grizzly ends. We got a wild horses that we think beautiful, that encapsulates beautiful and freedom. Doesn't know. What we don't know about them is they live in fear and anxiety. They look good on calendars and in movies, but they live in fear and anxiety. They don't know the joy of being tamed, of having a master, of being cared for, provided for, of having yesterday being rescued from yesterday's captivity to fear and anxiety and danger, having tomorrow resolved and having the joy of both those things right now. Jesus is a horse tamer, and that takes a horse being broken. All right, moving on. And this is the point of this whole text. It's, it, it, it comes to Jesus serving us first. It comes to us being humble enough to allow that. It comes to... See, people say Christianity is easy because all you have to do is believe in Jesus. Now, Christianity is hard because it involves being humble. You see his capacity to love. 1 John 4 says this. God's love was revealed to us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, wrath-atoning sacrifice that's pleasing to God that satisfies him on our behalf to be the propitiation for our sins. He serves us first. If Jesus doesn't serve us first, we are never able to serve him. According to that text, uh, his service enables and initiates ours. If God loved us in the way we should also love one another. There it is. Uh, he laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. Cause Jesus affect us. Serving. You can't jump over him serving you and go right to serving. That's dead fruit. That's nailing an apple to a tree. His service informs our love. We see what he did, and we're humbled. We see him lay his rights down. This is where humility is so important. Philippians 2.5 says, Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existed in the form of God, who did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave. This is the picture of a God who dips low. What other king do you know when his kingdom is being attacked, who leaves the throne, walks out into the mass of attackers, and dies for them, for their good? And little by little, soldiers start walking away, and, and now some head starts to turn back 
and he's rising again. And now he's bringing people into his kingdom because he will never die again. That's the picture of Jesus. And look, Jesus must serve us first. Simon said to him, Simon, never impetuous, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus says, one who is bathed, Jesus told him, does not need to wash anything except for his feet, but he is completely clean. That word completely clean merits, means there it's a, it's a settled state. That's what happened at the moment of your salvation. It's called, it's the doctrine of justification. You were justified, which means you received God's stamp of approval. And he will never remove that. It's an inwashable ink. It's, it's a tattoo. He's not talking about foot washing anymore, rather. You are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. That is why he said you are not all clean. When Jesus had washed their feet, and we'll end here. When Jesus had washed their feet, he put on his robe again and he reclined at table. Um, there's something that's flowing subterranean under the text. Uh, because it says that he took off his robe. That means he, he got up from supper, he got up from his throne, didn't he? He laid aside his robe, he laid aside his king's garb, put on his servant's clothes, came down here to us, took a towel, tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash their feet and to dry them again with the towel around him. Uh, the towel was probably clean. Jesus was absolutely spotless. He took all their spots on himself. That's the point. And he wore their filth. He wore See, because just as Jesus humbled himself, took off his robe, tied a towel around his waist, and washed, and washed the filthiest parts of our bodies, the next day he humbled himself all the more to wash and cleanse the filthiest parts of our souls. Do you understand, or do you know what I have done for you? This is the part of the text that's the example part that's when you've, if you've ever heard this text preached, this is probably what was emphasized most. Him serving us is actually the point of the whole text. This is the secondary thing. For I have given you an example. Oh, sorry. So this is well said, for I am. You called me Lord and teacher, for this is well said, for I am. I love it when the Bible calls Jesus God. So if I, your Lord and teacher, he said it again, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done for you. I assure you, a slave is not greater than his master. We don't get to make God's script. We take his script for us. And a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Uh, Denny said a few weeks ago that talk is cheap, and that's true. Um, if anyone has this world's good and sees that his brother is in need, but closes his eyes to his need, how can God's love reside in him? Little children, we must not love with word or speech. Talk is cheap. But truth is priceless. 
we just not love with word or speech, but with truth and action. That's what Jesus did. That's the example he left us. I am not speaking about all of you. I know those I have chosen. But the scripture must be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread has raised his heel against me. That's an advance. He advanced against him. Judas did. We'll end here. I am telling you this before it happens, so that when it does, you might believe that I am he. See, Jesus knows everything. He knows what's in front of him. And he, he does things, telling us in advance, so that when we see it, we'll be like, he is who he says he is. He's telling us the truth. There's something about this guy. I assure you, whoever receives, anyone I send, receives me. And the one who receives me, receives him who sent me. All right, so... This, verse 16, humbled us so that we can believe the promise of verse 20. A slave is not greater than its master. We take his script. We serve his people. Christianity isn't just words. It's actions. Uh, Jesus didn't come, didn't just come teaching. He came and he got dirty. Christianity is uh, truth in your mouth and dirt on your hands. And so the invitation here Whoever receives anyone I send receives me. And the one who receives me receives him who sent me. So let's believe that, knowing that Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly. Come to me. This is that time, this is that invitation. Say no, and your heart will harden, and the next time it's given to you, your heart will be harder at that point. You can say yes, and Jesus will wash you, and he'll call you clean. He'll end your hesitation. He'll give you joy in that. First John 15 says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. First Corinthians 9, uh, 6, uh, 9 through 11 says, or do you not know uh, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither will, sexual, sexual immoral, uh, neither will the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor idolaters, or anyone who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, or drunkards, or revilers, or swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. That's all of us, in some way or form. We err when we pick one sin out and put this whole text on it. But you were washed, sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Titus 3.5, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by washing, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of his Holy Spirit. The Father... It's a good weight that we feel right now. If what it leads to is you taking it off of us because you have already put the weight on Christ Jesus. So as we come to sing, we sing Jesus paid it all. Because it's true he has, you have, you are alive. And in your life we find ours. Thank you. God, that you made him who knew no sin to be sin, that we might be the righteousness of God. We might stand before you not missing a single thing that we clung to so hard before 
you ended our rebellion. Thank you for your marvelous work and compassion. Thank you for your humility. We praise you. Take communion. That you would grant your work to be done. If there's anything that we heard that triggered some prayer for us, may we spend this time praying about those things. And may we leave cleansed. It's for your wonderful, perfect, and powerful name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and stand with us. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Because Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Stain, he 
Washed it white as died my soul to save my lips shall still repeat Jesus paid it all all to him I owe sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. He washed it white as snow. He washed it white as snow. thing to do, to lay ourselves aside, ride down. That's the beauty of it, God. We're never stronger when we except when we surrender to you. It's a blessing. It's a, a joyful thought. Know that you are with us always, that we're not alone. It's wonderful to know that it does not depend on us our own strength. We love you, God. Thank you for dying for us. We thank you for rising, being with us today. Have hope. 
love you. I pray for everybody here. As we go from this place, we put you first in everything. Good and bad, we praise you for it all, God. You're always there with us. Love you. We praise you. All right. Hope you all have a nice day. It's nice to be with you all. Don't forget your children. Happy Thanksgiving.